According to Good Housekeeping, the Christmas message that you send in your cards is more important now than ever. Here are some of their suggestions. Merry Christmas. May your happiness be large and your bills be small. Or, this Christmas, may your family be functional and all your batteries be included. Now, if you're looking for a little less funny, a little more general, they suggest, Merry Christmas, wishing you all the happiness your holiday can hold. Or, our family wishes you love, joy, and peace today, tomorrow, and always. In the more religious realm, they've made several suggestions. Here are a few. Merry Christmas. I hope you receive one blessing after another this coming year. Or, wishing you a season that's merry and bright with the light of God's love. They've even included some romantic ones. You put the merry in my Christmas. Though we are apart, you're in my heart this Christmas. Or perhaps you're writing to some faraway friends. You would like to include this message. Missing you most during this festive time. Or, we may not be together on Christmas morning, but you're always in my heart. There's even suggestions for hard holidays, such as wishing you love and light in this challenging season. Or, I know it's been a hard year for you and your family. I hope the new year brings better days. And then, of course, they've also included a list of quotes that you can include in your Christmas messages. But the question that we need to ask is what kind of message are we sending? What is the message of Christmas that we should be communicating to our friends, to our family, and in general to the world at large? And I want to take a few moments and look at the scripture and consider the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas that we should be sharing. First of all, we're going to see that it is a message of humility. Secondly, it's a message of joy. Third, it's a message of love. Fourth, it's a message of worship. And fifth, it's a message of telling. Now, we're not going to have one particular text, but we're going to go through several texts of scriptures here and uh, consider those uh, under each of these points and consider what is the message of Christmas. Let's begin with Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And we need to notice here that the message of Christmas is a message of humility. In fact, I believe that Philippians 2, 5 to 8 is the master passage in the Bible on humility. It says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. As I said, this is the master passage on humility. And this humility, this attitude of humility that we see in Christ is supposed to be evident in, uh, in ourselves. And when we think about Christmas and the message of Christmas, it is indeed a message of humility. Because God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And in His Son coming, His Son took on human flesh. We call that the Incarnation. And there's no greater example of humility than the incarnation of the Son of Man. Again, the incarnation refers to that moment when Christ took on human flesh. Notice here, he existed 
in the form of God. That is, for all eternity, he was the same form as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That's how he existed. In other words, if the Father is holy and the Holy Spirit is holy, therefore Christ is holy. If God is just and the Holy Spirit is just, Christ is just. If God is spirit, the Holy Spirit is spirit, so is Christ is spirit. Everything about all members of the Godhead was the same in eternity past. But at a moment in time, Christ became incarnate. Christ took on human flesh. He previously existed in the form of God. Now, he did not stop being God, but he added an additional nature. But in doing so, he had to humble himself. Notice he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grist. In other words, the fact that he was equal with God wasn't something to fight over. They were equal. That was it. But at a point in time, he took on the appearance or the form of a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of man and appeared as a man. In other words, he continued being divine God, but took on an additional nature with no loss of the divine nature. We call this the hypostatic union. That is, Christ, 100% God, also at a point in time, added a human nature with no diminishing of either nature. So he's still 100% God, 100% man. And as a, as a man, he experiences everything that we would experience. He hungers, he thirsts, he needs sleep, so on and so forth. But understand, that was a humbling experience. Here is the creator of the universe coming into this world as a creature. Not as a fully grown man, but as a baby. Can you imagine the limitless God confining himself in the human flesh, even at the moment of the conception of that human flesh, here is the all-powerful word of God that is now housed in human flesh within the womb of Mary and has to grow. That flesh has to grow. And the limitation of that flesh for those nine months. And furthermore, when, when he came forth and was birthed, he was completely dependent upon Mary for life and sustenance, for care, for provision. The God of this universe humbled himself and became dependent on his very creatures for his own care. That's the message of Christmas. Not only that, but consider the fact that he had to set aside his divine prerogative. I didn't come to do my will, but the will of my Father. He also set aside the riches of heaven and became a poor man. He was the son of a carpenter. He was a working man. That's humility. And in his humble-mindedness, he became a servant. And the greatest example of his humility is he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. You see, the message of Christmas is a message of humility. What are we communicating? Are we demonstrating such humility? Are we willing to set aside our wants, our desires, our own ideas of ourselves for the betterment of someone else? 
That's the message of Christmas. We need to be communicating that same mindset. We need to be humbling ourselves. Not patting ourselves on the back and saying, oh, how wonderful I am or how wonderful we are. But, hey, first of all, here's how wonderful God is. I'm nothing more than a dirty, wretched sinner saved by grace. And humbling ourselves enough to say, hey, you know what? Regardless of what other people may think, I need to proclaim this message of humility that they need to hear. See, the number one hindrance to sharing the message of Christmas is our pride. Well, what are they going to think about me? What are the, what, what, how are they going to treat me? See, there, there's your pride. When rather it ought to be, I'm going to do this in spite of what they may think about me or how they might view me. I need to humble myself. That's the message I need to communicate. Secondly, it's a message of joy. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke 2, 10 to 11. The Christmas message is not only a message of humility, it's a message of joy. It was a joy to Mary, the virgin mother of Christ. In Luke 1, 47, she says, My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. The book of Acts shows the message of Christmas, the message of the Savior is a message of joy. Philip the evangelist preached Christ in the, sermon, in the city of Samaria. In Acts 8, 5 and 6 and verse 8 it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip and as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, so there was much rejoicing in that city. You know, the Christmas message is a message of joy to all who accept it. In Acts 8, 27 and 39, so he got up and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Those of the congregation in the synagogue in Antioch who accepted Christ rejoiced. In Acts 13, 23 and 52, From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel Savior Jesus. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's the message of Christmas. The Philippian jailer heard the message and he rejoiced. Acts 16, 31 to 34. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all those who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. He brought them into his house, set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Notice, he rejoiced greatly. And yet so often, this time of the year is a time of not great joy, but great miserableness. And I understand why some people are miserable. They have nothing. Needless to say, they don't even have Christ. And anybody who doesn't have Christ the Lord and Savior is most miserable. But Christian, why are you miserable this season of the year? Well, I don't have enough money. I don't have uh, enough to get gifts. I don't have enough. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Is that what this season is all about? How much money you have? Is that what this season is all about? How many gifts you get or how many gifts you can give? Or giving, the, giving a bigger gift than somebody else? Or, or giving a this or that? 
to somebody? Is that what the spirit of Christmas is all about? The message that you're communicating? No. The message of Christmas that we need to communicate is a message of joy. We've got something the rest of the world doesn't have. We have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You know, if we, if we didn't have anything else but Christ, we've got everything. Because in Christ we have all the riches of eternity. Well, pastor, those riches don't pay the bills. I understand that. But you know, at the end of the day, there's going to be bills, and bills are going to get paid, and there's going to be more bills after that. There's always going to be bills. But you know what? When you die and leave this earth and you leave those bills behind, you know what you do have? All the riches of heaven at your disposal. Stop being so earthly minded, so minded on the now and focused on what you're going to have. And again, that's not to say, you know, we should deny ourselves. It's not to say that we should live in a make-believe world where, you know, oh, well, I have these bills, but I'm not going to worry about them. That's not the case. But we shouldn't be so focused on these earthly things and so burdened by these earthly things that we walk around moping and, and looking sad and looking forlorn. We ought to be presenting a message to the world that we have great joy. Think about those shepherds out on that back, uh, out back there of Bethlehem. Those shepherds were looked down upon. They were considered unclean. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. And yet, who did the angels first appear to? The shepherds. And you know what? Nothing changed after they saw the baby. They went back, right back to being shepherds, right back to being outcasts, right back to being poor. But you know what did change? Something inside of them. They went back to their jobs, but they went back rejoicing. They went back with something different, a different attitude. Because they met Christ. Albeit the babe, Christ. But Christ nonetheless. So what message are you, are you sending? Are you sending a message of joy? The message of Christmas is also a message of love. 1 John 4, 9. But this is the love of God manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. You know, nearly 100 years after that very first Christmas, in writing concerning the incarnation of Christ, the taking on of flesh by Christ, the message of Christmas, John wrote the words of 1 John 4, 9. By this love of God was manifested in us. God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we can have life through Him. Christmas is God telling the world, telling every man, every woman, every child in the world that God loves us. Oh, what measureless love the love of God is in the incarnation of His only begotten Son. You know, the love of God is infinite in character. John 17, 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. The love of God is infinite in character. We can't run out of the love of God. And does the world know that by us? If people look at us, do they see the infinite love of God? 
I mean, you say, well, how do you know God's love is infinite? Okay, well, let's back it up. God is infinite, okay? God is boundless. God is limitless. Therefore, every manifestation of his character is limitless, boundless, etc. So therefore, his love is without limit. It's boundless. And it's best demonstrated in John 3.16, which shows us that the love of God is universal in its scope. For God so loved the world. He doesn't say for God so loved some people or God so loved this group of people. No, it says for God so loved the world, the mass of humanity, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Look at the universal, the universal scope of God's love. He loved the mass of humanity, and what did he do? Did he just say, well, I love you? No, he demonstrated that love, and he demonstrated that love in the sacrifice of his own son. He gave his only begotten son. Now, that word begotten, only begotten, is a unique word that means his unique son. Okay, it wasn't that somewhere in eternity past the deity of the second person was born. The second person has always existed. His humanity was born at a point in time, but his deity has always been. But he says the Father loved, unconditional love, agape love, self-sacrificial love, loving even one's enemy so much that you want to do good for them. And that's what he did. He sent his, own, his unique son. That whoever... Did you catch that word? Whoever, any man, woman, or child who believes in him, what's the word believe mean? It means to turn from and trust in. You're turning from your sin. You're putting your trust in, your faith in, Jesus Christ and his work, that he died, shed his blood to cover your sins, to make atonement for your sin, buried, rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And whoever repents of their sin and, believe, and, and puts their faith in him will not perish, perish, means they won't, they won't spend eternity in the lake of fire, but have eternal life. Will enjoy life forever and ever and ever with God in his presence. But it's universal in its scope, folks. There's not one person in the world out there that you would say, well, God don't love him. God doesn't love him. Listen, there are scripture verses that tell Christ died for the ungodly. He died for false teachers. So if he died for them, guess what? He died for everybody. The love of God is also everlasting in its duration. Jeremiah 31.3 The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting love. His love's never going to run out. The love of God is manifest in action. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's action. That's the demonstration. He didn't just say, I loved you. He said, let me show you how much I love you. He not only sent his son, but then his son loved us and died for us. And the, and, and the love of God is immeasurable, okay, in its greatness. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, Ephesians 4.24. You want to know why it's great? Because it's better than any love we have. It's better than any love that a woman has for a man or a man has for a woman. It's better love than any child has for a parent or a parent has for a child. It's better love than we can ever have for another person. Because his love, here's why it's so great, because it's infinite, it's universal, it's everlasting. 
We can't say that about our love, can we? We should strive for that. The love of God is saving in its purpose. Revelation 1.5 From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. The love of God has a purpose, and that purpose is to save sinners. And you know what else we can say about God's love? The love of God is inseparable in its grip. Romans 8.39 Height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Inseparable love. Can we say that today? No. I'll tell you right now, somebody does you dirty, you may have loved them yesterday, they did you dirty today, you don't love them tomorrow. But the love of God is inseparable. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Once you become His child, you are His forever. Now we need to consider, are we spreading the love of God in our Christmas message? What are we communicating in our Christmas message about God's love? How much we spent on somebody? How many gifts we spent on somebody or gave somebody? You know, how many decorations we had? Again, all those things can be nice, but the biggest thing we need to be communicating in our message is the love of God. God loved you and sent His Son to die for you. Because of your sin, you're on your way to hell. You're going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. And because I love you, I want you to know God's love. That God loved you so much that He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. And so He sent His Son to pay for your sin. To die in your place. To shed His blood. To be buried. To rise again the third day according to the Scriptures. To make atonement between you and God. So you no longer have to be the enemy God, but now the friend and the family member of God. It is a message of love. The message of Christmas is not only a message of humility and a message of joy and a message of love, but it's a message of worship. The worship of Christ is what the message of Christmas needs to communicate. You know, there's four things we can say about the worship of Christ. First, worship is giving. Worship is giving. Matthew 2.11, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, we do a lot of giving in this season of the year. And I don't think necessarily our giving uh, to other people is because we're worshiping them, but perhaps it is. It shouldn't be. Well, I mean, we can give to people, and we should give to people. And, you know, giving is how we can demonstrate that we care and love them. But sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what is the motivation in our giving? Have we idolized that individual above other individuals that were willing to go to any sacrifice to give that gift? And we need to back that up and ask ourselves, what have we given to Christ? Because first and foremost, Christ deserves our giving. Christ deserves our worship. And what are you giving him? 
I'm not just talking about a financial gift. I'm talking about what are you giving of your life? What are you giving of your time? What are you giving of your talent to Christ? You know, that's the message of Christmas is about worship. Do you even consider Christ at Christmas? Or are we more focused on everything else? You say, maybe you can't give him gold and frankincense and myrrh, but you can give him your life. You can give him your actions and your attitude. You can give him your lips. You can give him praise. You can give him service. There's so much you can give. Second, worship is an acknowledgement of Christ. Matthew 14, 25-33, In the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. The disciples saw him walking on the sea and were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on water, came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said, You have little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Now, here's the... Here's, here's the Key. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. You know, the message of Christmas is a message of worship, and it's not just giving, but it's also acknowledging Christ. Do you acknowledge him? You know, we acknowledge everything in this, in this season of the year. You know, we're acknowledging this person, that person, we're sending cards to people we haven't spoken to all year. We've got to acknowledge him because it's Christmas. That's great. But have you even stopped to give consideration to who we're supposed to be celebrating? Think about it. When it's your birthday, you want all the attention on you. Well, we're celebrating his birthday. So why don't we put more attention on him and acknowledge who he is? He is the Son of God. He's the eternal God. He's the God-man. He's God in the flesh. He's the Savior of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, worship is also witnessing of Christ. Matthew 28, 9 to 11. Jesus met them and greeted them. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Talking about the ladies there. And they, they gathered around Christ and they worshipped him at his feet. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take my word, take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee where they will see me. You know, one of the means that you can worship Christ during this Christmas season isn't just to give him your life and your lips and your service and so forth. Not just to acknowledge him as who he is, but to witness of him. To share with others who Christ is. And fourth, worship is continual praise to Christ. Luke 24, 51 to 53. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Worship needs to be his continual praise. Use every opportunity you can to give the praise to him. You know, somebody does something nice for you, thank them and then thank God for them. Finally, the message of Christmas isn't just a message of humility and joy and love and worship, but the message of Christmas is a message of telling. You know, the angel was the first to tell the message of Christmas. 
The angel said to them in verse 10 of Luke 2, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. Today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds were the next to tell out the good news. They presented a public and united witness. When they saw this, they made known the statements which had been told to them about the child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. I love that. Not only did they leave rejoicing, but they leaved witnessing. They leaved, they left rather, telling others about Christ. And then look at the devout Simeon. He told out the good news while holding the child in his arms. Luke 2.25, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 27 to 28, He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God. Verse 30 to 32, he said, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentile, and the glory of your people Israel. You know, if you've got a message, the point of the message is to tell it forth. That's what the message is about. The message of Christmas is proclaiming that Christ has come. And he's come with a purpose, to seek and to save the lost. The greatest part of the message that we can share is to lost sinners who are on their way to hell and to tell them that there is hope. To tell them that while hell is their destination, that destination can be changed. Their eternity their eternal destiny has not yet been set. There is still time while there is yet air in their lungs to repent of their sin and to place their faith not in a babe lying in a manger but in a Savior who hung on a cross and died and shed His blood to make atonement, to make covering of their sin, to appease God's wrath. And that Savior didn't stay dead. The difference between Christ and every other quote-unquote, Savior, is that this Savior resurrected three days, three nights later, according to the Scriptures. And the fact that He is a risen Savior means that His Father's wrath was assuaged. His Father's wrath was appeased. And because it's been appeased, we can have the hope of heaven if we'll repent of our sin and turn to Him and put our faith and trust in His work. What message are you communicating at Christmas? Are you communicating humility? Are you demonstrating the humility of Christ? Or have you made Christmas all about you and what you want and how you want it and where you want it? Are you communicating a message of, of, of joy? Or are you just miserable, bent out of sorts, a, a down and out Ebenezer, a bah humbug kind of cat? Listen, if you're a Christmas, Christmas, Christian, you got no room to be an Ebenezer Scrooge. You got no room to have a bah humbug attitude. You need to be demonstrating great joy to all people. Even when you don't have a lot. Even when you got problems. We all got problems. Even when life's not going the way you want it. You know why? Because you have something beyond this life. 
Are you spreading a message of love? Are you demonstrating the love of God? Are you sacrificially reaching out even to those you don't trust, you don't care about to show them the message of the gospel? Are you communicating a message of worship? Who is your focus on at Christmas? Who's your attention on? A lot of things vying for your attention and your worship. Make sure Christ has the preeminence. And finally, it's a message of telling. Are you telling the good news? You're sending out Christmas cards. You're sending out Christmas letters. You know, some people love to write out these long letters and so forth of, you know, what's going on in their life. And that's great and wonderful. But in any of the message you're sending out, are you taking a moment to tell them why you have great joy? To tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ? So I challenge you, examine yourself. Consider the message of Christmas that you're sending. And make sure that your message tells forth the goodness of God. Make sure that your message worships God. Make sure that your message loves God. Make sure that it's a message that shows the joy of God. And finally, make sure that it's a message of humility. Father in heaven, I thank you for the message that you sent. A message of humility a message of joy and a message of love. Father, I thank you that as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate our Savior who has come. But Father, it's so easy to get so caught up in the hustle and the bustle and all the, all the enjoyments that, that surround this holiday, all the cultural icons of the holiday. But Lord, sometimes I think that we lose sight of the true message. And so I pray that you might help us to get focused on the true message of Christmas and to make sure, Lord, that we're communicating that message not only in our lips but in our life so that we can share with others the true meaning of this season. We pray in your Son's precious name. Amen.